Human Vortex Training and Menachem Brody present the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, physiology, psychology, tech, and much more to help you get fitter, faster, and stronger in and out of your sport, giving you expert insights, talking with other leading experts. And now, your host, world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. Today is episode number 23. Hmm, fitting that we're talking with Lee Taft again and he's worked with a number of basketball players and Michael Jordan's number is 23. Pretty cool. Happened by accident. Totally nailed it. Uh, Lee Taft is back for part two of our Road to Kona 2020. Now, one thing I do need to correct, and I didn't go back and delete it. I did this on purpose because I want you to see we are all human. We all make mistakes and mess up. So I mentioned in the last episode, if I'm not mistaken, that there were people who were rolling over their qualification for Kona to next year. You can't do that. And I made a mistake. I made an oopsie. And I am not going back and deleting it and playing, oh, I'm, I'm perfect. No, I'm owning it. And I actually mentioned it here in the episode with Lee. And I'm not deleting it out because I want you to see that mistakes happen and that's how we learn. Also, of note, with Lee today, we are going to capitalize on increasing your work capacity by adding multiplanar movements. That sounds like I edited it, but I didn't. I just had to get it out with a little bit of energy because this is something where massive returns have been seen for HVT triathletes uh, over the last decade that I've been working with, especially Ironman and half Ironman distance. The number of triathletes who come to me after working with another coach um, who have just been given long distance runs, uh, it really bothers me. And Lee and I get into a little bit of the details and a little bit of geeking out here, uh, but we talk about increasing your capacity via multiplanar training. And it's really, really simple to do. You don't need fancy equipment people you know ask I need to have these bands or you use your body weight you use different movements and you do it repeatedly before you get off the bike or rather after you get off the bike for a brick you take a minute or two do a couple exercises and he even mentioned how I have some of my distance long distance triathletes do it in the middle of their race so find out what those are by listening in but before we get to that two things three things Number one, fantastic feedback from the interview with uh, Lisa Lewis, Dr. Lewis. A lot of you have said, hey, this is something that I've kind of had on my mind that I should probably be training and I don't really know where to find resources or how to do it and that episode was perfectly timed. So number one, kudos to you because you're really getting to know yourself and thinking about what are the uncommon things that I can do that are going to get me the results that others won't have tomorrow. And, uh, you know, there's so much more to it. We're going to cover that in other episodes because I don't want this intro to be too long. Now, this is the second point that I'm adding. I'm re-recording this intro here. It's actually Friday morning, October 18th, and the original intro was recorded back when Lee and I did the interview, but uh, I wanted to re-record it on Tuesday and release it, but I actually had really bad food poisoning, so I've been laid up in bed for another three days, and uh, in that time that I was actually sick, uh, Lee actually announced that he's doing a level two for his certified speed and agility coaching course. So I strongly encourage you, if you are a coach or even an athlete, number one, you have to take the, the level one, the, the regular CSAC course, which you can do on NSP 
NSPA, National Sports Performance Association, which I believe is NSPA.org. Uh, I'm not 100% certain on that website, but it's something along those lines. You have to take the level one in order to go do this 30 or 35 person uh, two-day seminar with Lee, but I strongly encourage you to do so. Whether you're a coach or an athlete, uh, I'm not one of those coaches, and I don't believe in, in pretending like I know it all and I learned it on my own. No, no. Lee is a fantastic uh, coach. His level one certification is phenomenal. I strongly recommend it. You can find it at speedcertification.com or you can check out leetaft.com, L-E-E-T-A-F-T.com. So we'll get into the interview with Lee in just a second. We're going to cover our last piece of housekeeping here, and that is a lot of you have been emailing me about the certified strength coach for cyclists, and I'm laughing because I'm giddy because it's been almost two years in the making. Uh, I actually just went back earlier this week while I was uh, – actually this past – week and uh, before I got the food poisoning and re-recorded two of the segments to bring them up to date. So I don't want you to think that this is outdated stuff. Like you're getting true cutting edge. Like this is what I'm doing today. So this isn't me like, oh, what did I do two years ago? And then I'm going to you know, catch people up by adding add-ons. No, no, you're getting actually what I am doing the day that it's published. Uh, and here's the thing. If you are on the HV training newsletter uh, list, you are going to get first dibs. It's going to be the end of October 2019 or the beginning, very beginning of November 2019. You're going to get first dibs. And not only are you going to get first dibs by at least two to four weeks before the page is published for the public and the course is open to the public, but you're also going to get a very special price that is never going to be seen again uh, as a thank you for being early, for wanting to learn, uh, and looking for good information. So one of the things that I want to mention about this uh, certification course is that it really is up to date and it is not connected to Training Peaks. A few of you have emailed me and said, hey, has Training Peaks decided on a release date and a price point? This is all me. This is, I was working on this about eight months before Training Peaks approached me about doing uh, those courses. So um, this is something that is uh, very, very valuable. It's even more pointed. There's a lot more information in it than you have in the uh, Strength Training for Cycling Success course on Training Peaks. So keep that in mind. Get on the HV Training email letter or newsletter uh, email list because it is going to be a lot of fun to have you guys. We'll open up a, probably a Facebook group, a private Facebook group to answer questions and also as part of a thank you. So. Uh, last thing as we go forward, get your pens and notebooks out because we're going to dive in to how to bring your running training up another level with Lee Taft starting right now. Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm always excited to talk to you, uh, Menachem, and I just appreciate everything that you do. And this, uh, this has been something I've been looking forward to. Well, vice versa. Uh, I was getting kind of giddy this week, looking forward to this. So uh, it's a highlight of the week. And uh, uh, true, to, true to form, you had a little pop-up that you had released on your YouTube channel, uh, another video. So as soon as we're done with this, I'm going to pop over and, and watch that. Oh, great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, fun. I've been doing a lot of this stuff and we can get into this obviously as we talk, but a lot on spatial awareness, you know, vestibular involvement, you know, which it's always involved, but we can do things to kind of help uh, train it a little bit more. So I think that's kind of fun stuff. So you'll see it's a real basic video, but if, you, if you're the type of person that can dig deeper into a simple drill, you'll understand it. So that's hopefully what people get out of it. And that's one of the great things about this is that in order to improve running economy or efficiency, depending on which path you'd like to go down, 
it really is mastering the basics and, and allowing you, your body to be able to deal with the different forces to create stiffness at the right time and in the right places. And really, I think that's a great place to start for today's episode. You know, we're talking about individuals who are injured this year and are rolling over their Kona registration to next year or those who just missed the cutoff and are looking to make those simple or, or more complex changes. You know, let's kind of dive into that. You know, if you're thinking about someone who's coming back from an injury, we'll start with that population. They're coming back from maybe a little bit of an overuse injury from running. Um, they have to roll over their Kona uh, registration to next year. What are some things that they should be thinking about including in their running training that most triathletes do not, or maybe they know they should, but neglect? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it's, and especially in, the specialized sport of, you know, triathlon um, competitions, you know, biking, running, it's so specific and repetitive, even though a triathlete, obviously there's three different things, but it's not like you're, you're changing from one event to the other within three minutes, right? I mean, it's, it's hours and then you change and then, and then, so you're getting a tremendous amount of repetition. Well, what comes along with repetition is, especially if the, the repetition is, has any kind of malalignment, you know, it just, it, there isn't a proper functioning going on there. You're going to have some kind of injury. So if we look at the human organism, it, it likes to be fed in various ways so that it can create more options for the body to be successful and protected because the more that you know let's say the more that a a set of proprioceptors protecting a particular joint or all the joints i guess we could say the more options that it has and the more um, availability it's giving, then obviously the, the higher level stress of repetitive movement at least has a chance to be more successful. So if we were to take an athlete that is, um, you know, putting a lot of, you know, road mileage in, um, and, and a lot is relative to, to that person, I think one of the things they have to be able to do is give multiplanar uh, training considerations so that the joint doesn't just get a maybe a, a sagittal plane emphasis all the time. We give it some transverse, which I think is the most important of all the planes that we have to be able to develop. And then obviously some frontal plane. Um, and I think if we can give that in any number of ways, there's a lot of ways to do that. What happens is now the body can absorb more of one plane. Because it's, because it's been trained in these other planes, so it has more capacity to handle it. So these, these you know, men and women who are coming back from injury or, or uh, maybe just a poor performance, maybe an overuse of, uh, of you know, just too much volume, they need to be able to have a little bit more capacity built into their training patterns so that the body can expand on it every time it touches the ground. I think that's the real important part. And, and this is relatively simple to do, right? I mean, this isn't something that's rocket science because I see a lot of people and myself included five years ago, oh, well, we have to do this glute activation series, which takes you 15 or 20 minutes. And then we're going to do some striders and then we're going to get into it. So out of that hour, you know, we're spending all this time going through isolation exercises or maybe uh, a little bit of uh, specific exercises, but there's an even simpler way to do there, uh, to do that. Is there not? 
Yeah, I mean, if, if we add, let, let's say we're in a situation where it's cold and, you know, maybe getting outside um, to do the warm-up might not be the best options, but you got to get outside to get your, your work in. Maybe even if you're in a gym or you're in your garage or your living room or whatever, and you have access to a medicine ball, maybe doing multi-planar lunges, okay? Maybe doing multi-planar reaches, which would, the difference between a lunge and a reach would be the lunges, I'm actually stepping forward, sideways, backwards, rotationally from one foot, not leaving that foot, but, but planting my other foot firmly and then recovering back. A reach would be I choose a foot, I stand on that foot, and I reach either the opposite leg or if I have a medicine ball, I'm reaching that medicine ball, obviously via my arms. And what happens is in order for me not to fall over, I have to activate all the stabilizers and intrinsic muscles to be able to become much more stable. And now those potentially inhibited muscles become activated. And I didn't, I didn't even run yet. You know what I mean? I haven't even gone out and run, but now all of a sudden I've got all this multi-planar control simply by making my body have to adjust to these different movements. So yeah, it's really, really simple, but let's say you want to get outside. It's nice out and you want to go out. Well, why not do just a little bit of agility? You know, literal stuff like, you know, if you're, if you're in your driveway, run to the end of the driveway forward, back pedal back. The next time go up, maybe do a little bit of karaoke. Uh, or a lateral shuffle, skip sideways, skip backwards while opening up your hips. So we, you know, we just call that a drop step skip. It's kind of like, you know, you're swinging your knee open like a fence, a fence gate. Um, so you start doing things like that. You're not only getting um, body and spatial awareness, but you're also developing joint range of motions just because you've got these limbs moving outside of your center of mass and so the joints have to be able to accommodate that movement so that you don't trip and stumble and fall or use your line of movement so yeah really really simple and the 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 simpler you keep it with adding just simple variety the better you are and the safer you are and that's one of the most important things I think that gets lost nowadays is it's not a matter of going through this massive range of motion. You know, we see a lot of uh, well-meaning trainers uh, who are going through a single leg deadlift or trying to do the hip airplane. Uh, if you're familiar with that, uh, the McGill's made uh, fairly popular for the midsection and the glutes, but they're just not executing it with the joints in the right position. They're just kind of going through that motion of, oh, well, it should kind of look like this. The, the intent that you have and that joint position is so vital, is it not? Or, or are you saying there's a little bit more room to kind of play since we're getting ready for, for a run? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on this. I think, for example, and this is so, it's, you know, this was not re, uh, you know, uh, produced at all, but this morning, I do my workouts really early. I get up and I go out in my garage and I do my stuff. And one of the things I did this morning because I was doing a slide board workout. Today was my non-strength lift, weightlifting day. So I do my cardio and I was doing a slide board. So one of my warmups when I do that is the airplane. But when I do it, I start with my rear foot elevated on my bench. So I go through a very strict range of motion and I feel each position as I go through it. So for example, if I'm standing on my right leg and I'm going to drop my left hip, my pelvis down, I want to feel myself getting through the right hip joint. And I want to feel myself sitting back through 
uh, that hip. And then as I open up, I want to feel myself getting into the groin and the adductors. And I don't want to overemphasize my lumbar movement. I want to move as a unit. So by just putting a little bit of support in a rear elevated stance, now that airplane action is very controllable. And then after I've done a couple of those, then I'll do it without it. And if I don't feel like I can control it, I don't do it because I don't want faulty movements and stuff, especially for me at my age, I'm just trying to stay healthy. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to do things that are crazy and wild. And, and so I can really control that movement and get so much more benefit by feeling the entire range of motion that I'm going through, even if it's only a 30 degree range of motion. I think that's really important for a lot of triathletes to hear because it tends to be that endurance athletes, we, we tend to think of all, oh, you know, and I talk about this in my upcoming certification is we like to be, you know, hard men and women like, oh yeah, I just did so much. And, you know, uh, triathlon is uh, HTFU, harden the F up, but really we need to think about the big picture and we're looking to complete these big events, but I honestly don't know a single triathlete who's like, yeah, I just want to do this one and then be broken the rest of my life. So here you're talking about, you know, control and stiffness first, learning to feel the range of motion and then building out from that. And that, if I'm not mistaken from our, our last podcast is that's kind of the basis for your run performance improvement is getting that control and the stiffness first and then learning how to propel yourself forward down the road. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's economy is so overlooked. Um, we, we like to be, and I guess it's a societal thing. You know, we we're very competitive, you know, we don't, we don't like to be perceived as unable to do something. So we'll push ourselves beyond the limit, even if it's just to ourselves. Like, I, I mean, you know, I train by myself. I don't have anybody to train with. And, and sometimes my competitiveness comes out like, you know, I'm, I'm angry that I wasn't able to accomplish a skill that I was just working on or a balance activity. So I'll push it. But I think in general, if we're going to be competitive in a, an event like a triathlete or a bike uh, event or whatever it may be of endurance, uh, you know, an endurance type event, we have to understand that the more efficient, and economical we are, the better off we are. So when we're doing uh, preparatory exercises, so we're doing warm-ups, we're doing uh, you know multi-planar movements to make sure that we have this capacity. We're doing drills to create stiffness, um, which helps us just reduce so much hard muscle work, and we get to use you know tenderness work. We still have to be extremely economical and efficient because if I am trying to, let's say, have more stiffness and use of, um, you know, my tendons versus having a real muscular effort all the time, like it would be if I'm pedaling uphill. Um, if, if I'm trying to be more elastic, if, if my joint alignment, my core integrity, which is, you know, um, stabilizing my spine and my pelvis, if all that stuff is in order and it's very efficient and effective. It's just so much easier for the body. It's effortless. And my chances of getting overuse injuries go way down. So I just don't, it's hard for me now. Um, I suppose when I was younger, it was a little bit different, but now I look at it, I'm like, you can, we can accomplish just as high results that we are aiming for by being much safer and more efficient. So why wouldn't we do that? 
you know, but I guess, again, that's why we have jobs because there's people who don't, you know, who need us. So <laughs> because if everybody did it perfect, you know, you and I might be selling clothes right now in a store. So <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like value investing or indexing, you know, it's really boring, but in the, the end of the day, you know, look at Warren Buffett, you know, that's right. <laughs> it's years and it's not. And I think that's part of the problem we have in, in teaching people about economy and efficiency that one, those are two different things. And two is, is that's where you should start at. Because you don't get that, that uh, seal of approval or that badge of joining the group of finishing your first 20-mile you know, run after only three months in triathlon. You don't, you don't get that stamp of, of um, what would, I guess it's peer approval. Would that be you know, the thing? Sure, yeah. So how do we kind of change our mindset here? Because this is something where there are a growing number of triathletes who are starting to open up their eyes and also runners, I think a little bit more than triathletes actually, because they're so tired of the overuse injuries. They're looking for, you know, five to eight minute series that they can do before or after their strength training sessions. And one of the things that I've kind of felt fallen in love with the last couple of months has been tempo lifts. So, you know, one kettlebell or a book from Trader Joe's groceries, whatever it may be. So like three, zero, three or three, two, three goblet style squats. Is this something that uh, the listeners can use through maybe a hinge or a squat or other ranges of motion to help them learn that control and stiffness? Or would you say that there's a, a better place for us to start? No, I, I think that's good because strength is, is the foundation of all that we're going to do. Okay, that's the, the foundation of development from a child or baby all the way up through. So sometimes we forget that. And I think it's, it's very interesting over the years of listening to other um, um, coaches of, of distance running, tr um, you know, marathoners, triathletes, uh, bike, all this, the, the, the disdain by many of them. And it's, and it's amazing to me because that an accurate word by that I would hear is of strength training was amazing to me. But then when for whatever reason, due to an injury or something, when they all of a sudden started to strength train, they're like, holy cow, I just tapped into a, uh, an area of my body hormonally, you know, chemically, whatever that all of a sudden I'm better. Um, um, it's easier. Um, um, it's e it, I'm more efficient when I run. Um, and so they're seeing the benefits of that. So now when we start to go to these tempos, tempos do some great things for us. Number one, if we have enough stress, and that's relative to the to the person, okay? Because you, you certainly can't, we can't all start out the same place. But if we have enough stress, we know when we go slower or occasionally hit some isometric, we are getting a really good effect on the tendon, okay? So we're starting to build stiffness. We're starting to build a tendon that, that has more integrity and tensile strength. Well, that is a good thing for those who are not real strong because now they have more capacity within those tissues. So just by, like you said, let's take a kettlebell. Uh, sometimes it's just body weight. Or if we are, you know, body weight isn't enough, but we don't have a kettlebell, go single leg, a split squat or a rear elevated split squat and go slow in your, like you said, maybe a three down, maybe a one to two second pause at the bottom. And then if we want to maintain tension, go slow up. Or if we want to now 
induce a little bit more power than maybe we pop up in a second or less, you know, and that can be cycled into your program. But definitely getting involved with strength training, adding that even before you go out for your runs, if you're only doing it as a small circuit, as kind of preparatory work, I think it's fantastic. Plus you get a raise in, uh, you know, some good chemicals that help you feel better when you go run. And, and even more so, I, I think this is something a lot of people don't talk about uh, when it comes to tempo lifting. Uh, one, they're not aware of it for the most part, but it also allows us to work on two of the components of the aerobic energy production. So we have, you know, the oxygen utilization, uh, so the number and size of slow twitch muscle fibers and the substrate availability. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you can easily, you know, stimulate the hypertrophy of slow twitch fibers, and you're essentially working on your lactic buffering production or ability rather uh, without having to produce a ton of it and getting really really beat up by the miles and miles you're putting out on the road so there's you know it's not just that strength side but it's also uh the the aerobic side if you do it properly in, in my opinion would would you say that that's something that you've seen performed in other sports where it's more endurance like distance rowing or anything like that or, or is this something kind of new using the tempo to help build those endurance abilities as well as strength yeah, well, I, I know it's been around for a long time in sports like skiing, um, you know, cross-country skiing, uh, even downhill skiing, um, distant speed skaters. Um, I remember years ago, um, you know, I was actually at the 1980 Olympics when Eric Haydn was, you know, kind of the golden child of, uh, you know, those Olympics other than, you know, the night, you know, the hockey team. Um, but part of the training that you know, they did was a lot of that, okay, because they're, they're obviously were building, um, you know, strength qualities, but they needed to be able to have the ability to access capacity of, you know, and, and being able to buffer, uh, you know, lactate and, um, uh, you know, being able to do it over, the, oh, excuse me, over a period of time. So, um, you know, so it's, it has been around, I don't know that, uh, we've understood it as well as we, you know, we do now because it's coming, you know, it's coming uh, out much more and it's being used as a viable option for people. And the other thing is sometimes when somebody is injured and they can't, they can't actually perform running or, or biking or, whatever, or swimming, if it's maybe a shoulder, you can get it in the form of weight training if you just control your tempos and you extend your volume, your overall volume. So you can get that aerobic capacity or anaerobic lactate or, you know, ATP PC system, if you want, you know, just doing through the strength. So definitely a real good viable option. Love that's where your, uh, your mind went as well. Cause the next question is it also gets you the ability to, to strength train at, at uh, lower weights. Um, but also it, you mentioned the tendon strength. So we also have, you know, not just the tempo, but isometrics as well, where we can improve uh, the tendon strength through, you know, 30, 40 second isometrics. Is that something that you've used with triathletes or, or runners in the past? Do you recommend using I isometrics at all, or, or you tend to kind of shift more towards the, um, the dynamic movements? And of course it depends, but, but, you know, as a whole, uh, what would you say is kind of uh, your, your thought on isometrics to use uh, to grow tendon strength as well? Yeah, I, I definitely use that and have and continue to do that. I, right now, I currently work with a couple athlete, couple female athletes that one of them had, had two ACL injuries. The other one had one. 
And so we do a lot of that stuff to just to give them, you know, give them again, some strength and capacity control of a position and be able to, you know, lay down some tissue for them, you know, and that's what the research is telling us right now. And um, there's, there's, and a lot of it spawns off of therapy modalities of, you know, holding a isometric position with a, um, you know, a, a certain weight that is, um, that you're able to hold the position that you're after for at least 45 seconds. So for example, just as a, a rough example, if you even took a, a, a kettlebell, sat on a bench, put the kettlebell over your toes, and you lifted it up like you're doing a leg curl, uh, or excuse me, a leg extension, and you held it for 45 seconds. They find like an analgesic effect, so the pain goes away in their knees, but over time, it starts to help with the tendon thickness and strength. Therefore, it eventually leads to you know less pain and then a more productive uh, tendon. So I'm a big fan of it. I think it's really important, especially in anybody that's even healthy, if they have no issues. I think it's just using it as a foundation to build towards the more explosive movements or the repetitive explosive movements, such as running. It's not exactly a high level explosion, but still it's an explosion off the ground. So the more uh, supportive tissues I have, the better I'm going to be. So I'm, I'm a big fan of it. And I think you just got to be careful that you don't overdo it and you start to gain too much stiffness when we need, uh, because what happens is in, in, in certain types of strength training, we end up getting a co-contraction. In a, in a co-contraction, I was just talking about this either today or yesterday too, is co-contraction is good. We want co-contraction because that's a stabilizing factor of a joint. But when I need speed, I need inhibition of, an, of one side and excitation or action of another side so that I can move a limb faster. So we want to make sure that we are accomplishing both. But I think if you start with the isometric and build and eccentrics and build our way up into more explosive stuff, I just think you're following a really good kind of a good paradigm. Well, let's take that and, and get into that rabbit hole a little bit, because uh, a while ago, you mentioned when we started here, the control and stiffness first. So we've kind of gone over the control and you mentioned the stiffness and how isometrics can be good, but you need to have that good co-contraction. Let's kind of go down that rabbit hole and, and learning how to produce stiffness at the right places in the right time, or as we spoke about last time, proximal stiffness to produce distal movement. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, if we, I'm, I'm going to kind of go specific and then we can back our way back down to general. So if I'm a, um, one of the strategies we'll use, if I'm trying to improve, let's say a volleyball player, which I happen to have a couple that I'm working with now, and I want them to jump better. I have a middle. So a middle for those who aren't familiar is the person, usually one of the taller players, they're in the middle of the net and they you know, their main job is to block, you know, that's what they do. They block. And so they don't have the luxury of bending really deep. You know, they just don't have time because they're reading a set and they have to move really quickly. So one of the things that we need to uh, train them towards is being able to gain stiffness at maybe a quarter depth of a squat, okay? Because they can't go much deeper than that. It's too, they won't get up fast enough. So we need them to be able to uh, handle heavy weight again, that's relative, but heavy weight and get strong 
in that higher position. Um, so they need to be able to gain that stiffness to be able to drop quickly to the quarter depth and then be able to get back up. Now, if we take a sprinter, okay, a sprinter better not go down to a quarter depth. Otherwise, we would call them a squat runner. Okay, it's, it's the young kid who just doesn't know how to gain stiffness yet and stay tall when they run. So as we get closer to events that are really um, uh, important, so for, and what I mean by that is in a high school kid, like the first meet of the year is not the most important meet of the year. It's just, you know, we'll train through that. But as they get towards the States, we'll start doing things where they'll do quarter squats, quarter step ups, you know, things of that so that they're getting closer to the range of motion that they need that explosive strong strength and that stiffness and stability. Now to get there, I'm a fan of let's make sure we strengthen in fuller range of motions. And again, Full range of motion is relative. Do we want to go all the way down? Maybe not with everybody, but if people can, we'll do that. And then, and then we gain our, our control, our stiffness, our co-contraction, our ability to be able to hold those positions and multiple positions throughout the range of motion, much like a power lifter would, where they're going to maybe do a 10-second eccentric and feel each range and each position and be able to control it. And so all those are important factors. So stiffness is not just relative to, you know, me touching the ground really fast, like a jump roper and get that kind of stiff. It's being able to gain control throughout the full range of motion. If that makes sense. I know I kind of rambled, but that's, that's kind of what we're looking at as an overall general rule. No, a hundred percent. And that, that ties into kind of where, where I was thinking about taking this is you're talking about different squat depths for different production of force for different athletes, which, you know, on top of this, we could go down the rabbit hole of the femur length versus the tibial length, which we, we won't do. Uh, Cause I feel like we can do a whole three hour special mm -hmm. together on that one. Um, but this is something that's important for a lot of triathletes because with, and, and get, don't get me wrong, everything can be good. You know, as Dan John says, anything can work. It's just a matter of how long uh, and what the end, end result is. But a lot of people have kind of gone from not doing strength training at all to now there's a lot of triathletes who are doing CrossFit. And that goes with the personality type, type A, very competitive. But the challenge that, that I see at least and have seen is that CrossFit is very much Olympic-based squatting, which means that you need to get your ass to grass for it to mm -hmm. count, right? But when we look at a triathlete, and, and the arguments with some of the CrossFit coaches have been, yeah, but they're on the time trial bike, look at the range of motion. And that's kind of a very twisted way to look at the time trial bike because, yeah, it's a very specific motion. And you could say it's a deep squat, but it really isn't because of how you're supporting the body. What would be some things that you would look for in a triathlete to help them understand, hey, you can use squatting as a, a way to develop stiffness, but you need to use this particular range. What would be some stuff that they should look for either in a mirror or with a coach to understand what their squatting range of motion should be and to learn how to be able to produce that stiffness through that range of motion for their bike and their run? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, uh, and again, it's, I think you probably get frustrated with this as well as, you know, anybody else is you, you hate to give people the answer. It depends, but as a professional, we've got to be careful not to give absolutes when, when it could depend. So, um, going into this, I'm just going to start with, it does depend, but let's, let's say this in this general, is, in, general. In, in general, that's yes, but probably the one thing that I've been working on a lot lately 
um, listening to, you know, just, you know, even following some of like the, 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 the way some of the Chinese uh, train their squatting. Um, there's a guy near us, Bill Hartman, who uh, has done a lot with this. And, and so we, I personally do this, but I've been doing it more with my athletes than I'm capable of is we try to get them to be able to, to squat straight down. In other words, you know, your pelvis goes straight down, right down. Like if there was a line, you know, from my ankles up, I'm trying to follow that line down. Now, in order to do that, you're going to have to give some support to the dorsiflexed position. Okay. So most people can't do that. They don't have range of motion. So what we're going to do is we're going to give them a heel lift. They're going to put them on a slant board or whatever. And what we're after is we're trying to get them to be able to go down into what is technically what a squat is, okay? Because anytime we drive our hips back, um, you know, like a power lifter, okay, when their hips are going to go back, they're supporting so much weight, that has a hinging component to it. But a pure squat is a vertical spine, pelvis remains neutral, and we flex at the knees and the ankles and we squat down. Now, anything outside of that would be considered a compensation. So if I can get my athletes to feel being able to stay braced, okay, in the core, not extended, and be able to squat straight down with use of the slant board or heels up on a plate or whatever, and maybe even using hand supports, maybe like straps to be able to get them there and get into those, that, those depths and be able to gain stability, not just in the, the joints that are being highly stressed, like the knee and the ankle and somewhat of the hip, we're also stressing the erectors, the, the stabilizers of the spine, because it wants, it wants to go into extension and it wants, you want to flex forward at the hip. You wanna bend and push your hips back because that's the normal way we would squat. So now we take that squat and we're going to call that just a human squat. That's a squatting pattern that we see that certain populations in the world squat like that all the time. That's the way they rest. That's the way they move. And, and that's a very common pattern. Now we're going to take that and we're going to give it its variations of now we're going to say, we'll add a kettlebell where I'm going to have a little bit more of a hinge. Then we go to maybe a front squat which I'll probably have a little bit more of a hinge. And then I'll go maybe to a back squat. I'll have even greater hinging. They're all forms of squatting, but I'm starting to introduce this hinge pattern. Now, how does this help a triathlete? I am giving that human organism, that body, the ability to stabilize, to, um, you know, to, um, uh, you know, fix a position that is, that is um, building uh, uh, stress. Um, we could call that, you know, the, you know, the, the intensity of a, of a joint or this, um, um, you know, I'm drawing a blank on the, the word I'm trying to come up with here, but it, it's hitting a position that they can stabilize and allow the joints to move, but not have compensation throughout, let's say, a, a lumbar joint, okay, a lum the lumbar spine or the T-spine, I can remain solid there. So every time a, uh, a runner uh, puts their foot into the ground aggressively, whether they're going uphill, which could cause 
um, some extension, going downhill could cause some extension of the lumbar spine. They're able to stabilize those positions because they have stability within the joint. So the ankle joint going uphill, when it touches, is going to be more dorsiflex, right? I mean, because the toe is going to be higher than it would be if I were running downhill. But when that occurs, there's all these compensations that go through the rest of the body. Squatting is a very slow way to be able to address those potential compensations. Okay, so uh, I hope that made sense. It's kind of a lot of stuff there, and there's a lot more we could go into, but being able to squat down, okay, not squatting back, being able to squat straight down, get the knees out of the way, and get the pelvis to drop straight down, you're building capacity for a human organism to move the right way and stabilize all the joints and to gain that stiffness we've talked about. And, and just to reiterate what you said at the beginning, it does depend on each of the athletes. Uh, and exactly. if, if you guys go back, Lee and I spoke about that in the first episode, and you kind of touched on with the hips and how things have to move. And we spoke about this with another guest, Camille, uh, who's a bike fitter down in Florida, a uh, very good one, uh, talking about how there's, there's antiverted hips, you know, forward pointing hips, back pointing hips. So don't just go out there and slam a, a bunch of weights under your heels. Like it's a matter of learning the movement and understanding how your body works. And something really important to note here is that nobody is perfectly symmetrical. So you may have differences between your right and left hip that will, will keep you from going through what Lee's talking about. But Lee, uh, to bring it back, I think a lot of people miss exactly what you said is that's a true squat. The Eastern squat, where it's just like you hit, you know, the Austin powers or you hit the button on the elevator and just sink straight down where mm -hmm. a lot of coaches are teaching a hinge squat, which isn't wrong, but it's nope, not at all. a true squat. And I think that's something that a lot of triathletes miss and athletes is, in general is that there's a true squat and there's a hingey squat and there's a squatty hinge. And all of them are okay. It's a matter of, you know, finding out how does my body move? Where am I right now? And then like you talked about, uh, dialing in on the control and understanding what's going on at the lumbar spine, what's going on at the pelvis, uh, and learning how to control through the range of motion. There's no necessary or specific range of motion where you're going to walk in and be like, oh, now you're squatting. Like if someone moves three inches perfectly vertical up and down, and that's where they are today, that's also a squat, right? Exactly. Well, and the other thing to go back to your point, and you're absolutely right, you cannot, I have like the two girls that I have, I just mentioned that are ACL. I am not going to put them in the full range of motion because they're just not there. They're not capable of doing that right now. Number one, it could be painful for them. Number two, they might not have the, you know, just the, the joint range of motion due to still some kind of intrinsic inflammation in there that's not allowing them to get range of motion. So what we do is we hit a range that is comfortable for them, but we start to get them to feel what it's like to do a proper pure squat. So again, I'm big on let's get the human organism to move as, uh, with as much variety as possible. Is a hinge or a box squat or a, you know, like a powerlifting squat wrong? No, that's absolutely accurate for that event or that sport or, you know, whatever training modality you're after. So if I have someone that does have knee pain and still want to see if I can get some squatting done with them because the, it's going to benefit them, well, maybe I'll do a split squat where their knee is completely 90 degrees. Oh, excuse me, their uh, shin is completely straight up and down so that the knee, if they do go full depth, it's only 90 degrees. 
but yet I'm not putting any shear force on that knee, okay? We wanna work towards being able to get them there, but I may never be able to do that. So absolutely, you don't go into what I just said and all of a sudden, day one, get on a slant board and, and put your butt straight to the ground because you, you might be able to do that and you started out with body weight. But yeah, absolutely, it's gotta be dosed properly. And here's the other thing. This is, this is probably the thing that as I've aged and been in this profession for as long as I have, I, I just think people have to understand training is a journey. There is, yes, you might have to get ready for an event in Hawaii or an event in Las Vegas or an event in Minnesota or wherever you're going to travel to. But that doesn't mean training stops, right? It, it's it's got to be as long as you're going to be on this planet, you should be having some form of training. So take your time, be patient. I don't have to have perfect form by the time I go to this next big triathlete meet, but I have to make sure I'm working towards it. So when I resume training after the event, now I just start building from there. And then by the next event, maybe I am better. So I think that's one of the big things is we, we can't just look at training as it's only there to get me ready for the next event. If we do that, we're short-sighted, and then we almost keep restarting again rather than building on what we've already accomplished. And to add to that, I mean, this is something that I argue more with the triathletes than the cyclists or basketball players or runners I work with, and that is, how are you feeling today? I always ask them, how are you feeling today? What did you get into this weekend? Oh, well, I laid around and did Netflix. Why'd you do that? I thought you were supposed to... Understanding where the person is, where you are that day, just because you were able to get so much range of motion last week at this weight does not mean that you're going to be able to do the same weight or more. Sometimes the smart thing is to dial back and, hey, you know what? The weight that felt like a perceived exertion of six last week feels like an eight. Well, that's your body telling you something like you need to be intelligent and recognize that and write it down and track it because otherwise you can find yourself like some of our listeners really derailed where they're like, yeah, I had a training plan, but they just follow it like it's, you know, uh, as Dan John calls it, they're following it like it's a, um, uh, a bus bench as opposed to a park bench. Like my fitness is going to arrive at 7.52 a.m. on Sunday, October 21st when the first wave of, con it doesn't work like that. That's right. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly. And, and the other thing is, is, you know, when you, when you track it, so when you write it down, you're not just writing it down so that you have a log of what you've done. You're writing it down so you can say, you know, what? all of a sudden my left knee on the outside is getting really sore. Well, if you go back maybe a week or two weeks and you say, ah, you know what? I started you know, I got an, or, or maybe I bought a new shoe, you know, a new running shoe, training shoe, or I started doing this new exercise and I'm noticing that, so I'm getting pain. So it's, it's something you can always refer back to because most injuries, especially for triathletes, other than a fall, you know, it's very chronic. It just, it's gradual. And next thing you know, there it is. And it could be a month down the road. And you're like, if you don't track that, you might not realize, well, I changed something a month ago and now it's showing up. And that's the missing link for so many people is, well, what did you change in the last month? I don't know. Did you change shoes? Did you change inserts? Did you change the mattress you sleep on? That's a whole nother, whole nother story. But yeah. you know, we've covered a lot here, uh, Lee. We, we talked about the ability to have control and stiffness first, to feel the range of motion, uh, the joint range of motion that you have, and being able to have that, that multi-planar training focus uh, as you're getting ready for a warm-up, how warm-up doesn't necessarily have to be outside. 
let's kind of wrap it up together here and talk a little bit about transition practice, going from the bike to the run. Um, this is something I like to have my triathletes practice year round. I think it's a skill as much as training the tissues to have that transition from a non-impact force in a very closed position uh, to a upright position in the impact force. Are there any thoughts or, or maybe tips that the listeners uh, would be able to take away that would help them be able to learn this skill? Or do you see it more as uh, a different thing that they need to learn in order to make that transition from the bike to the run easier on their body and to evoke the best possible uh, tissue qualities and, and thus, uh, I guess, performances, if you will? Yeah, I, I think in general, one of the things that I have recommended in the past for people is if you're if they're capable, and, and this would this would be obviously in, in certain stages of training, because at some point you've got to get yourself ready to get off the bike and start running. You don't have time to do this little strategy I'm going to tell uh, tell you and your listeners is is if they can have a just a, a little basic jump rope with them get off the bike okay so and, and then begin basic jump roping what's happening and if we look at what we're getting from that when you jump rope you're jump roping from an extended body position and i tell them start with your knees locked but your knees won't remain locked it's just a protective thing you just you don't i don't want an overly bent knee right off all right what i want them to do is use their feet and their ankles so by jumping, I tell them, I said, just make yourself as tall as you can, stack your head right over your ribs and your ribs over your pelvis and all the way down to the feet. Use the balls of your feet and become springy, you know, right off. Stay and, and just do maybe like 10 reps, stop, kick your legs out, do 10 reps again, stop, kick your legs out and repeat that up till maybe five to eight times based on how you're feeling, okay, and how it's feeling in you because your, your calves had not had, had to respond quickly to anything yet. Other than if you've stood and you pedaled, it's, it's still more of an isometric type action than it is a elastic type action. So, um, but by staying tall, now the spine and everything is elongated. It's managing forces. And then just go ahead and do a little bit of like skipping, tall skipping, not power skipping, tall skipping, like what we would call an A skip or a snap skip, where they're starting to strike the ground a little bit. Literally just go up and back, maybe 10 yards a couple times before you begin your, begin your run. And then, um, then the last thing is I would do is add, like I call them lateral jumping jacks. Um, I don't know, I, I'm sure there's other names people call them, but it would be like doing a lateral shuffle, but really tall, okay, I'm not, I'm not really bending my knees or my hips, and I'm swinging my arms rhythmically as I do it. So it's not a true jumping jack, but my, as I push off and move sideways, my arms kind of reach high, and then as I recover, they swing low, and then as I push, they swing high. And so what I've done is I've done multiplanar things, I've done some exercises that are very reactive and elastic, and I've done that in an extended body position, okay? Now, can you go and do like some bird dog exercises, glute bridges, you know, can you do, absolutely. But I think you need to be able to do some movements off the ground from the reaction of the ground in a tall posture, seeing you've just been sitting in a, in a more of a bunched, crouched, closed posture. So, so hopefully that makes sense, but it's real easy. It's real simple. And uh, in the past, 
people that have done that said that it felt pretty good. They actually felt really good doing that. We're definitely going to add the, uh, the jump rope here, but it's validation because a couple of the, the half iron and Ironman athletes I've had, I call them ballerinas because you kind of look like a ballerina going across the stage, the lateral jumping jacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Super Marios and ballerinas, when they see that in their transition and I tell them to do it on race day once, you know, if the transition isn't too much or once they get out of transition, every single one of them had a PR on the run when they started incorporating that. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, it's, it, it looks ridiculous. Like so many people made fun of me, but I was the last one laughing because I said a 17 and a half or a six and a half minute PR uh, yeah. for the run. But uh, it, it really is really cool. Like you're putting out a ton of information also. EliteHalf.com, YouTube has been just super amazing from a coach and an athlete standpoint. Uh, tell us a little bit more about where the folks can find you online. Yeah, well, I appreciate you allowing me to do that. But yeah, if you go to... If you go to leetaf.com, you can find resources. So if you're interested in any of the mini courses or things of that nature, that's pretty much where that's uh, housed. If you want some just quick tips and quick information, free stuff, you know, any, um, uh, you know, anything YouTube, you know, the, it's basically what it's called is speed tips from my garage. And uh, I have, I have this garage that doesn't look like a garage. It's all, uh, you know, it's all fit out with like a regular little small fitness facility. And that's where I do my training. And that's where I do a lot of my video tips and speed tips. So they can go there and anything it's at Lee Taft for anything of uh, you know, Instagram or Twitter or, or, uh, you know, Facebook, that's pretty much just my name and you can find the stuff there. And I try to put out a lot of information. I'm just passionate about that. Um, the, the profession has been great to me and I try to help younger people and, and people that are getting into it that maybe aren't so young, but kind of newer to it and, and want some strategies. So yeah, so I kind of have fun with it. It's a lot of fun for me to get stuff out. Well, your, your passion and love for it is, is very apparent. And that's something that, that struck a chord with me personally many years ago. Lee, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and sharing uh, part of your knowledge with us. And uh, really looking forward to hopefully having you on a third time. It's always fun sitting and talking with you. Oh, well, I enjoyed it. Uh, what you're doing, uh, Manaktam, is just awesome. And I think, uh, you know, I've heard some of your other podcasts and people that you've talked with and, and you being a guest, I've always listened and I'm a fan of people who are passionate themselves. So uh, thank you for what you do. And I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Lee. <laughs> That's it for this episode of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast with world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Don't miss an episode. Hit that subscribe button and give us a review. For more exclusive content, visit humanvortextraining.com or get the latest expert videos from Coach Brody on the HVT YouTube channel at HV Training. Until next time, remember to train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you.